I don't like starting on a quasi-fascist note, making you sit up. But um, we're doing something together, actually. And it seems like um, you're just the audience and I'm speaking. But it's actually... We're doing something together, and all of our behavior affects everything else. So I appreciate uh, your willingness. One of the things I remember about being a teenager was that uh, adults uh, didn't understand. That was like the defining characteristic of an adult. They don't actually know what's happening in my life. And now I am an adult and you are teens. And I hope I'm not repeating the same problem that I remember. I don't think so, but I hope not. And I don't think we're repeating that same problem Uh, in part because we're genuinely not interested in making you more like us. That's kind of what I remember of the dynamic between teen and adult was adult telling me as a teen essentially how to be more like them. But what's happening here is actually quite different. And ultimately what we're doing is um, trying to provide a space where you can begin to understand what matters most deeply to you, not to us. And so this path is um, we give these kind of standard set of tools and views, ways of seeing, ways of actually seeing experience, ways of understanding our lives. We give you tools, um, but not so you can find our path but so you can find your own. And when this practice really starts to develop momentum as it is uh, for many of you, when it starts to develop momentum, it's, it's almost like it feels like the path was made for us. It's so 
particular. It, uh, it feels like it's um, maybe almost our own creation and very personal. And there's a kind of process that happens of discovering one's path. And you don't always know that it's actually happening. Uh, But it is. And uh, it's really uh, an honor to be a witness and a support in you finding your path. So I wanted to, on teen retreats, I sort of want to have the conversations that I wish I was having when I was a teenager, but wasn't. And uh, I was... I was just longing for some honest conversations. And there really wasn't, even though, you know, things were fine, there really wasn't a place to have an honest conversation about what it's like to be alive. And so tonight I wanted to uh, open, initiate some of those conversations and uh, reflect a bit on um, some of the things that I didn't hear when I was your age but was wanting to hear. And in a certain way, mindfulness is like it's like an honest conversation with ourselves. Does that make sense? It's like a real, maybe you know that, that experience of talking to somebody who's really, has a lot of empathy and listens really well. And sometimes you know how you can just go and talk to them about something and they don't do anything, and they don't change anything. But somehow at the end of the conversation, it feels, everything feels different and lighter. In a certain way, uh, mindfulness is, we're having that kind of conversation with ourselves. So it's actually, uh, when we're honest, it means that we, we can share. We're not hiding. And our mindful attention is a way of bringing the fullness of our life into the open, of not hiding from ourselves. And in that honest conversation, we can begin, as Sarah said, 
as Don was saying tonight, to really have our own backs. This, this is true, I think, across our whole life, but maybe especially true as a teenager, um, that if we think we know what we should experience, it's really hard to see what we do experience. We have all these kind of rigid ideas about what it's going to be like to be human. And um, you know, I thought I should be happy, even though I wasn't. And I thought I should know who I was, even though I didn't. And there's a kind of weight of that should that makes it actually hard to pause and look at what I really am experiencing. And so we want to be really careful how the shoulds um, crystallize and become rigid in our mind. So the question here, the question um, at the heart of this practice is, uh, what is it like to be human? What is it actually like to be human? And that question sounds so obvious as to be kind of stupid. But I would say that until we actually pause in the way we're pausing together this week, we don't really know what it's like to be human. When we do uh, begin to open to this, What is it actually like? The word that comes to mind uh, is intense. It is so intense being human. And nobody, nobody tells you that. Like nobody told me when I was like a child or a teen or something like, you know, Matthew, this whole human thing, it's super intense. (laughs) So just be ready for it to be amazing and it to break your heart 
and it to be confusing. When I was a a teenager, uh, you know, we all sort of have our particular flavors of suffering. And uh, when I was a when I was a teenager, it was, I mostly remembered just kind of being freaked out about life and scared of a lot. Scared of growing older, scared of about not being good enough, scared about who I was becoming. I remember specifically the, the, the fear of, um, about not being smart and just that, that single fear oriented so many years of my life because as a way of I was so afraid actually to fail that I just sort of skipped out on the whole, I just opted not to basically exert myself, not to take the test because I was too concerned about what I would see. And I remember being... uh, the whole realm of sex and sexuality was at the same time fascinating and frightening. And it was like one of the biggest things going on in everyone's mind. And I remember that so vividly. And I remember that whole realm, which, which was... To me, it felt like um, uh, like I was really um, trying to like understand myself as a sexual being, having sexual feelings, and that you know, sexual experiences or early sexual experiences were kind of amazing and kind of like taking the SATs. (laughs) And so there I am, like, and I'm one of the kids who is like supposedly happy, you know, There I am, like amidst all of this intensity, and I'm just like, why aren't we talking about this? Like, why why is nobody saying this? And it was like um, everybody walking around was sort of pretending like it's not a big deal to be human. But uh, it's such a big deal. 
It's such a big deal. And we're all like playing it cool and we brush our hair and, (laughs) you know, we look kind of dignified, right? Look at us, upstanding, (laughs) upstanding adults, totally dignified. Marv's hoodie. I don't know, but he's a professor, so that makes up for it. (laughs) So we're all like, oh yeah, I'm just human, right? But it's not like that inside. We have these, these bodies that are so sensitive these hearts that move with the whole world, these nervous systems that are so porous. And part of our practice is um, making sense of this intensity No, we, uh, we try often to kind of think our way out of the intensity. Like, okay, if I just think enough about the future, I can kind of find my way out of the intensity. But the intensity is not personal. It's not uh, specific to you. And it's part of being human. So we instead learn to to work with it and to, to... not be looking for some place outside the intensity. But it's more like we get accustomed to the changingness of life. The heart starts to relax amidst the changingness of life. But of course, our minds will continue to try to solve the problem of intensity. And the mind is like a problem-solving machine. Right? Don't you notice that in your, when you're, the attention moves off of the breathing or sound or the body or the metaphrases? Doesn't it kind of default to solving some problem? Yeah. Real or imagined. And 
And um, that kind of trying to problem solve and find our way to think our way out of the intensity uh, is okay. It's natural. Even our worst habits are in their own weird way trying to take care of us. Even the things that actually cause us a lot of stress and suffering in their own weird way are trying to take care of us. And we can bow in a certain way even to the habits that cause us pain. And we can bow even as we make efforts to transform those habits that cause trouble for us. Now, sometimes life will just um, feel like too much. And the way that I think about it is, is sort of like, you know, that experience of eating, of eating a meal and you just ate too much. And it's like you're trying to digest it. Well, we have to digest our life too. Digest the intensity of being human. And mindfulness is one way that we can help digest that intensity. by having that honest conversation with ourselves. It's like we expose the heart bit by bit to that intensity. And in that process, it's like we can begin to relax. And the intensity doesn't stop But our inner life starts to feel more and more safe. We think about safety out there in the world, and that's real too. But part of what we're doing here is making our inner life more and more safe. So it can feel more and more like a home. I was saying that one of the other uh, major shoulds in my life during uh, when I was your age, and, and, but through adulthood too, But one of the major shoulds was, uh, I should know who I am. 
I should know who I am and what I will become. And that idea that uh, we're supposed to arrive somewhere and be someone, that we're supposed to kind of land, like, okay, maybe you're a kid now, maybe you're a teen now, maybe you're you know, uh, a young adult now, but at some point you're supposed to get it together and know who you are. There's one teen who said, uh, I was so touched by uh, a comment. Um, and she, she just said, uh, you know, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want. We had this sense that... Um, we need to figure this all out and that maybe grown-ups have it figured out. You know that, um, uh, like a, how you make pottery, the, the wheel, what is it called, potter's wheel? Is that what it is? Yeah. And it like, you're molding the clay and the wheel is spinning, right? And then at some point, the wheel stops spinning, right? When we feel like the clay is molded into the shape we want, and we, the wheel, we stop the spinning wheel. And we have this sense that in life, that wheel is going to stop, and we're going to arrive and be like, done. But that wheel keeps spinning. It's still spinning for all of us. And so you can uh, relax about trying to mold yourself into some final product that you're just then going to be. Who you are is a kind of very open-ended question. And we don't want to answer it prematurely. So, uh, another way of thinking about it. Um, you know when, uh, when the astronauts landed on the moon and they planted a flag? It was like the American flag. Uh, and I, I always thought it would have been much cooler if they planted 
a flag with the moon on it. <laughs> but okay, <laughs> we planted an American flag. And we sort of said like, this is ours or we were here. <laughs> and uh, we don't uh, we don't plant American flags, but we do plant flags, and the flag has two letters on it: M. Yeah, yeah. And we plant these flags in lots of different ways. We plant them sort of around our bodies. We plant the flag of me for to mark our skills or our intelligence or our athletic capability. And we do that, we plant those flags and we say, this is me as a way of feeling safe and good And there's a part of practice that's very much about developing a sense of healthy self-understanding and a kind of kindness towards oneself and a love of oneself. But that gesture of planting flags means there's something that you then have to defend. Because you, you have to kind of stand guard and patrol the flag. Like, no, this is me. Even though we're not just one thing. And so part of our practice is uh, seeing the ways that this flag planting causes stress. So to make an example, like if I plant the flag of being a good meditation teacher, and say like, yes, this is me, I'm a good teacher. That very gesture of planting that flag limits how I can be with you. Because then my agenda is much more not to 
um, say something useful, but to defend my flag. You know, I was talking to one of the teens about this, and he asked a, a great question, like, like what happens uh, when there are no flags? Or maybe should we just plant fewer flags? Or what happens if we don't plant flags? And um, not planting flags doesn't mean that we stop doing what we need to do. It just means there is a kind of fluidity inside so we can adapt to the situation in front of us. That our energy is not bound up in protecting that flag. And what we find quite remarkably is the effect of this when we stop saying, this is me, it actually breaks the heart wide open. When the attention is less pooled up in defending our flags, it naturally flows out to the world. And the human condition becomes more and more uh, poignant, more and more touching. And the drama of suffering and happiness becomes more and more visible. And our life starts to be guided more and more by this very simple, fundamental distinction between suffering and ease. Not should, should not, right, wrong, me, you. But suffering and well-being. The last thing, um, something I wanted to be, I wanted somebody to share with me. Uh, that one of the the hardest things. Uh, especially at your age, is to see 
people you love suffering. And it's very complicated because uh, you're still young and in a lot of ways very actively depend on adults in your life. And so sometimes to see the suffering of adults in our lives um, creates a lot of, uh, understandably, a lot of fear. Because we feel so vulnerable knowing that their confusion is spilling out on the world. It's spilling out on us. Some of what happens is that we come to actually have more autonomy in our lives. And we can set the appropriate boundaries. We can come to depend on people that we can depend on. But it's such a deep groove, I know, still in my mind, even at age 38, seeing my parents suffering my first impulse is to control it, control their suffering, make it go away. And if I can't, I get frustrated. And it's such a natural experience for us to have. But before we can start with compassion for them, we actually should start, as Sarah was talking about, with compassion for ourselves. As another form of the intensity of being human. But, you know, we can really learn from the pain of the generation before us. And there can be a kind of vow to, uh, to suffer less and to cause less suffering. And in that way, we're really expressing the previous generation's potential because we are their potential. 
So there's some commitment like, I want to learn from this. I want to heal this. So I want to close with a quote from a Zen teacher, Norman Fisher. And uh, some of this may be relevant now, but I uh, anticipate it's going to be relevant at some point. When you actually enter the path and go down the road a little way and then wake up one day and realize to your surprise that you're actually committed to this. When that happens, a whole other life comes into view. You find that you have formed your life literally around the practice and you actually begin to forget about the life you thought you wanted the life you thought you were making, the life you were hoping for or thought you should have been having. Instead, practice becomes your life and life becomes your practice. Practice is no longer something you do to enhance or help it along. It is your life. One day, you kind of realize this and you lose the life you thought you wanted or the life you thought you had. But this is very liberating. This is really great. It's wonderful to disappear into your practice. It's wonderful not to have to worry anymore about being somebody or something, which is such a struggle. And you no longer have to work overtime to avoid life's difficulties. People work their entire lives to avoid life's difficulties and they're never successful at that. You can give up that effort altogether. You don't have to defend or protect yourself anymore. This is great. I can't tell you how great this is. It's not dramatic. It's not colorful. It's not a big deal. It's very subtle. Maybe nobody even notices. Let's just sit for a moment.
So as always, pick up any themes that seem relevant and leave behind all the rest. So thank you. Nice to practice with you. So uh, should be snacks there and uh, small groups at 8.30. So uh, enjoy your time together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.